0: If you have a Bible and you want to turn to the book of Job, I'm going to speak on Mr. Job today. The question a lot of us know that Job's dealing with here is, why do the righteous suffer? Or in other words, is it possible for a person to be living with a clean heart before God and still have things just go terribly wrong for him? Because that is exactly what happened in the case of Job. From chapters 4 to 25, he's got his three friends. The wisest thing they ever did in the book of Job was when they just came and just kept their mouths shut, which they did that for a while. As soon as they started opening their mouths, they kind of got into trouble where Job had to pray for them. But the, the free friends, they're arguing that Job, they're saying, Job, you have got to be a sinner because only a wicked man could have calamities like you've had fall on their head that... God has got to be displeased with you and that's what they were saying or he just wouldn't have taken all those blessings away that he's given you and Job contends the whole time no I've lived a righteous life I've done nothing worthy of all these things that have happened to me he says if I could only meet God I could argue my case before him and he's frustrated during this whole time when it talks about the patience of Job and James Job wasn't necessarily patient either with them or God but he endured he held on to his faith is is what he did but he's frustrated that what seems to be the case isn't the case. And we need to remember, one thing you need to remember reading that book is, he had no idea about chapters one and two. We get to see behind the scenes, he had no idea about any of that. So the question is, if God is a good God, and if he's all powerful, why would he allow suffering is the question of the ages. Many answers have been given, most of them are wrong some of them are only partially right i mean they've had jewish philosophers given their idea of why is there evil i mean it just goes on and on that's the question of the ages i've shared this illustration before some of you may remember it you won't but i'm going to share it again because i think it makes the point but you know back in the second world war with cory ten boom she's in that Ravensbrook concentration camp with her sister betsy and they're in there with 10,000 other women, they're living in these horrible conditions, degrading, hideous conditions. They gathered some of them in the barracks, and they're sitting on beds. They're cold. They're hungry. They got lice in their hair. They let the lice live. They didn't want to get rid of them because it kept the Germans out of their little private area in there. And her sister Betsy's leading a Bible class. And one of the women who wasn't in the class but was kind of sitting there listening to him, she, she calls out derisively from her bunk, she mocks the fact they're worshiping God in these conditions. And they start getting into a discussion. And the woman says to Betsy what people often say to Christians, and that is, if your God is such a good God, why does he allow this kind of suffering? And she tears off these bandages that she'd had on her hands, these old rags and bandages, and holding them up with her mangled fingers, she says, I'm the first violinist of the symphony orchestra. And her hands are all mangled. She said, Did your God do this? to me and for a moment there was silence and nobody answered and then Cory Timboom steps up beside her sister and this is what she said she says we can't answer that question you know and Job had questions and God didn't directly answer his questions but she said we can't answer that question all we know is that our God came to this earth became one of us he suffered with us and was crucified and died and that he did it for love So the problem with this woman with the mangled hands is she didn't understand God's nature and she didn't understand the nature of our sin. It's not his fault that we have all this terrible results of the fall. It's not his fault at all. And Job's three friends, their thing is they're taking a universal general principle that applies and for the most part that the righteous are blessed and the wicked are cursed. And they're making that apply in every situation. And a lot of people do that today. If something bad happens, there must be something wrong with you. There's got to be sin. And that's something, you know, all of us have to watch. Because that's clearly not always the case. And that's what the book of Job is all about. So God doesn't always answer our questions of why, does he? A lot of times we're just saying, I really, I just can't tell you. I don't know why. And he didn't answer Job, as I said. So one thing that Job knew, though, and he found out in the end after he got through everything raising his questions, and God finally appears to him and talks to him. And near the end of Job, he says this in Job 42, 1 to 2. He says that God is absolutely sovereign, doesn't owe us any answer because he said, Job answered the Lord and says, I know that you can do everything and that no purpose of yours can be withheld from you or, or stopped. He's basically saying, God, you're sovereign, and you don't have to answer any of us. And he doesn't, does he? But he does give us answers. answer. He's even eventually gives Job answers. He's just not getting them at the time he's going through what he's going through. His answer to Job was when Job's saying, hey, if you could, I could just reason with things, this just isn't fair what's happening to me. His answer was really in at, towards the end of Job is I'm God. And he displays all of nature before him. He says, do you have the wisdom, the power, the holiness? Can you do what I've done in these simplest acts of nature? He puts the animals on display before him. He says, can you do this? Can you control any of these animals? Can you make them do the things they do? And, of course, the answer is no. Do you have the power or wisdom, Job, to control the seas, to create the stars, govern creation? And you're going to question my wisdom and power and goodness in dealing with you? And all Job could do at the end there was what? He, all he could do was put his hand on his mouth, and says, and Repent. We eventually get chapters one and two, but you think he went through trials and loss that we'll never experience, never like him, in one day. It wasn't drug out over his lifetime either because a lot of us here have experienced loss, but not like that. God allowed Satan to sift his faith and his integrity to demonstrate to the universe that there are people who will still serve him even though it doesn't pay even when they get nothing out of it they'll still love serve and worship god because he's worthy and that's what god was going to show the world something he already knew about job that job would remain faithful because of the work of grace that was done in his heart not because it paid Job wasn't faithful to god because it paid because everything that paid had totally gone from him his circumstances indicated that god was not on his side god wasn't good everything was screaming that where is he he hates me that's what his friends are telling you he's got to be something wrong with you we'll just go through this text and look at the first verse it says there was a man in the land of uz whose name was job and that man was blameless and upright and one who feared god and shunned evil and he's described that way of being upright fearing god and hating evil and it's not just the writer that says that god later on says that himself This isn't sinless perfection because Job himself in the book admitted the committing sin. In Job 14, he says this to the Lord. Now you number my steps. Do you not watch over my sin? My transgression is sealed up in a bag and you sew up my iniquity. And later on in chapter 13, he says, for you write bitter things against me and make me to possess the iniquity of my youth." So when it says he's blameless, what it means is he was spiritually mature. He had integrity. It doesn't mean that he could never sin at all. That's not what it's saying. And when it's saying he's upright, that word upright means to be straight. His behavior was in line with God's ways. I should know this. I didn't look this up. I'm just saying this off the top of my head. But I do know this from one time I preached on the book of Job in prison a few years ago. And Job, there is one chapter there where he names all the things he did and he truly was a righteous man he wasn't just saying that i mean he was a godly righteous man that did what was right he hated evil and and that's the way he was now in ezekiel 14 he is singled out of all the people in the bible when ezekiel talks about three men that he says they're so righteous that they would only spare themselves not even their family from the judgment that god was going to bring on jerusalem But it was Noah, Daniel, and Job, and they are all called righteous in Ezekiel. Genesis 6 says, Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his time. Just the same thing that was said about Job. And Daniel, it says this about Daniel in Daniel 6. Then this Daniel was preferred above the presidents and princes because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king thought to set him over the whole realm. And then the presidents and princes sought to find occasion against Daniel concerning the kingdom. But they could find none occasion nor fault for as much as he was faithful. Neither was there any error or fault found in him. The Lord is saying that about Job, God himself. Say this man is perfect and upright. That's something else. And he was blessed as a result. Look in verses two and three. And it says, and seven sons and three daughters were born to him. Also, his possessions were 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and a very large household, so that this man was the greatest of all the people of the East. 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 oxen, 500 donkeys, great number of servants. Those number of sheep that are named there, from what I've read, they said that was extraordinary for that day to have that many sheep. So we know the principle. You're righteous, you'll be blessed. We know the principle in Deuteronomy 28. That's what it's telling us, isn't it? That's what it says. If you obey the voice of the Lord and do that which is right in His sight, all these blessings will come upon you. And that's a valid principle. That's basically the way things operate, but it's not the whole story, as we'll see. To make Deuteronomy 28 the whole of the gospel is to twist scripture. It is. We'll see that. Paul said this in Philippians 4. He says, I know how to be abased, and I also know how to abound. And he said, I am instructed. God has taught me both to be full, he's taught him how to, to do that, but he says also to be hungry. He says, God has taught me to abound and to suffer need. So abound means to overflow. That's what that word that Paul uses there, to abound, means to overflow. To suffer need means I've come up short. God had his hands on Paul his entire ministry, but there are times he was hungry and he was suffering need and he's floating all night in the ocean. What's he supposed to think about that? That the blessing of God, I'm cursed? Is that what he was supposed to think? So Job's friends, they limited all suffering. They said all suffering has to be because of the law of sowing and reaping. And like I said, that's valid, but it's not always the case. Sometimes it is the case, isn't it? Sometimes a Christian will suffer punishment. The suffering they have is punishment. So we know that we read first corinthians 11 when we do the communion and paul says at the end of that because some of you are not rightly discerning the body you're not treating people right you're not acting like jesus towards the people that are your brothers and sisters he says for that cause many are weak sickly and some even die And who's causing the weak, sickly, and dying? It's ultimately the devil, right? But God's using him. So sometimes suffering is caused because of sin. A few chapters back in 1 Corinthians 5, that man, he was a Christian. He's committing fornication. And what did he say? Do what to him? Turn him over to Satan that he might not learn to sin, to blaspheme, whatever, right? And that's what happened. Now, God used that as punishment, didn't he? There was the law of sowing and reaping there. So that what came on him came on him because of his sin, didn't it? Now he repented and guess what was lifted? Whatever that sickness, that punishment was, was taken away from him. And he learned a lesson. And I'm sure we've all experienced that in one way or another. Generally, I do think if you're faithfully serving God, the tenor of your life will be that you will be blessed i do have a problem with what they call you know a lot of people criticize the health wealth and whatever gospel i do have a problem with this it's all prosperity it's all what you can gain i mean, you don't get that sense from reading the new testament i mean it's not this two mansions and you're going to have everything you want and that really becomes your goal in life under the guise of faith i just don't you know there was a man count Zinzendorf, years back he was filthy rich but he gave a lot of his riches away, and he financed missions. I mean, money meant nothing to him, and God was able to use him to help spread the Gospels. Paul says in Timothy, charge them that are rich in this world that they do good. So he doesn't say, you can't do any good with your riches or you're evil because you have riches, that they do good, that they may be rich in good works. And these rich people, you've got that money, God's blessed you with it. He says, he goes on to say, be ready to distribute to help any needs you can, because not everybody's able to do that, are they? Some people, all they're doing is just able to meet the needs they have. That's where they're at, right? But some people are, should be ready to distribute. He goes on to say willing to give. But I think being blessed is your family's at peace. You'll be successful at your job, have your needs met financially. I think that'll be it. But anybody can have a trial, can't they? I understand people are having trials with their family. That doesn't mean the curse of God is on you what i'm saying is just because you don't live like middle-class america doesn't mean you're not blessed james 2 we talked about this back when we went through the book of james he says hearken my beloved brother and has not god chosen the poor of this world that are rich in faith i'd rather be poor in this world living in a dirt hut and rich in faith than living in the nicest house and having no faith wouldn't you I mean, I definitely would. And he says these poor that God has chosen are heirs of the kingdom, which he has provided to them that love him because they won't be poor forever, will they? The great reversal will happen. So you look down, we'll move on here. Look in verses four and five. And it says this, and his sons would go and feast in their houses each to his appointed day and would send and invite their three sisters. That's 10 of them. Seven sons, three sisters to eat and drink with them. And so it was when the days of feasting had run their course that Job would send and sanctify them and he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them for all. For Job said, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. And it says this did Job. Regularly, That tells us a couple things there, and that says that Job had a respect for God. He did not want his name blasphemed in any way, but it also shows us that he had a love for his family. He didn't want God to judge his family if they had sinned and cursed him. Just quickly, I mean, that tells us if you have a love for your children, you'll pray for them daily and ask God to have mercy on them because that's what it says at the end of verse 5. Job did this continually. And moving on to verses 6 to 8, it says, Now there was a day, and here's when the attack comes. There was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. So they're having a cabinet meeting here. And Satan's the chief of the cabinet, right? And the Lord said to Satan, From where do you come? And so Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth and from walking back and forth on it. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and eschews evil. And here we're getting to see something that Job doesn't see. Now the veil's pulled back and we're getting to see this exchange between God and Satan. So Satan, the name means adversary. Adversary. And if you haven't figured it out yet, he is not on our side. And God asked him where he's been. Just like that line that we read about roaming to and fro on the earth, looking for sheep. 1 Peter 5.8, your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. And that word devour means to swallow in one gulp. Kind of like Jonah got swallowed up. We need to remember this too, though. God is also seeking and roaming, isn't he? Because it says in Second Chronicles 16, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of them whose heart is perfect towards him. Now, here's the thing we're seeing with this veil being taken back that Job didn't know. That a lot of times, suffering that we go through, trials we go through, losses that we experience... That will not be understood until later. The hidden purposes that God has may not be understood at the present. Like I said, Job didn't have chapters one and two to indicate that God's just trying to vindicate your faith in Job. I'm just trying to show you, Job, how you will be to all the world. He didn't know all of that. I have had some things in my life, one in particular, I'm going to tell you what it was. It could not have been more devastating. The darkest days of my life, it's been a few years back. I thought God had totally forsaken me. I I couldn't have been any darker, literally hanging on by my fingernails. It was a nightmare. I couldn't see any good in any of it, and I couldn't understand it, because it wasn't like, like with Job, I'd be like, I hadn't done any sin. I wasn't living in some known sin, and I'm like, I don't know why this is happening, and it did, but years later, I look back, and I see what God had to, the only way he could accomplish what he did was putting me through that. And I was grateful then, even though at the time I was totally bewildered. <laughs> I just can't explain how bad it was. It was just bad. But that's the way it is a lot of times. You have to look back and see. So it says in 1 Peter 1, even though at the presence you're grieved by various trials. But there is a reason, and here's the reason Peter gives. This is what the case was with Job, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, that your faith, once it's tested, even though you don't understand it at the time, may in the end be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. God will honor you. There'll be praise and glory when he comes. That you held on by his grace. None of us will hold on by our own willpower. That will never work. So, God said the same thing that was said in chapter one. He said that of Job. Have you considered? Have you looked upon? Taking him into account, my servant Job? None like him on all the earth. Could you imagine God saying that of you? My servant Joel, have you considered him, devil? There's none like him on all the earth. Maybe you'd say, well, maybe hopefully a few others, right? But he should be able to say that of us as Christians, shouldn't he? And people should notice that in the world, shouldn't they? That we shine as lights in this dark world. Well, they're, they're different. I may not like them. I may disagree. Or they may aggravate me at times. That person there is upright and blameless. They're trustworthy. They have a faith in God. There's something different about them. Have you considered my servant? We should be able to put our names in there, shouldn't we? We should. Look what happens here. Go on in verse nine. So Satan answered the Lord and he said, well, does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge around him, around his household and around all that he has on every side? You've blessed the works of his hands and his possession has increased in the land. But now stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he'll surely curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, behold, all that he has is in your power, only do not lay a hand on his person. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. You know, the Lord asked the devil, asked Satan, where have you been? And the devil's like, oh, just doing my usual business, seeking those whom I can steal, kill, and destroy from. That's all I've been doing, doing my job, Lord. He said, what did you just happen to notice or consider my servant job there's none like him in all the earth and the devil's like well yeah i considered him (laughs) but i moved on because you have such a big fence such a big hedge around him i thought there's nothing i could do nothing i could swallow so i just moved on and he says and by the way though i want to let you know this the only reason he shows you fear and respect is because you've given him so much and protected him. I mean like, yeah, you give me $10 million and I'll lick your boots too. That's what he's telling the Lord. But take that away, tells the Lord. You take away all this stuff you've given Job and you'll see how much he loves you. You'll see. You know who else thinks like that? The devil's children. They think just like their father. This whole wicked world. You take away their blessings and they will curse you god because you read the book of revelation that's what happens they shake their fist right in his face sometimes in this day they may be nice about it but they'll turn their back on god that is the big test isn't it wasn't that the big test for the rich young ruler he comes to jesus and just says what must i do good master kneeling down what do i have to do i'm willing to do anything but was he really he's basically saying i give you my life what do i have to do to gain eternal life And Jesus says, you've just got to give away all your riches, the thing that is the God in your life, to make me your God. And it says in Mark 10 that he was sad at that saying and went away grieved, for he had great possessions, like Job. And that's the difference between him and Job. Job was able to give it all away and not lose his faith in God. The rich young ruler, guess what he did? When he was put in that demand... He turned his back on God and walked away, didn't he? Now, that doesn't mean he didn't. You know, I, I've heard legend is that he repented later, and if he did, praise the Lord. God is gracious, isn't he? Gives us more than one chance. Let me ask you this What do you think in our lives really matters to God? Do you think chief and top on his list is our comfort, our houses, our money, our fame, our health? Is that the top priority with God, do you think? Or do you think it's our spiritual condition, our love for him and our love for others? I think that's his top priority. Most people are concerned with a good job, health, a nice house, their family. That's their top concern. And that's what politicians get elected on, isn't it? You've got a bad economy and you're almost guaranteed you're not going to get reelected, especially in this country. Promise things. Now what does God, though, what does he say our concern should be? What's Matthew 6.33 say? Seek ye first and only, that's what that word means, only seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all of those things that the world's concerned about and we could be tempted to, he says they'll be added to you. We don't have to work 80 hours a week and neglect Bible study, time with our family, whatever, just so we can say God has blessed us. So what matters most to most people, is what God allowed Satan to take away from Job. His job, his money, his sheep, his camel, his oxen, his donkeys, his family, his ten kids, and his health. That's what America is built on, isn't it? Money, family, and health. If you couldn't talk about that in America or took that off a TV, our screens would be blank, wouldn't they? (laughs) But to serve God with pure motives... The only way that could happen, that's a supernatural work. Do we understand? That's not something we're going to will to do. That's a sign of grace in your life. Because it says in 1 John that we love him because this is why he first loved us. And the devil and the world, they are incapable of understanding that. They don't even think it's possible. I remember one time I worked for a rich guy that owned a company that james worked for and he's telling me he's sitting there doing his stock report laying in the middle of his living room on painting his house looking at the stock of work flipping his nickels is the way i like to say it and he's telling me he says no your pastor's got a price i said i don't believe he does oh no he's got a price you put enough money out there in front of him and you can buy him and i said i'll tell you what i said this is brother Hample. i said if my pastor had a price like that i said i'm out the door I said i don't believe he does In that way I said we don't don't even take an offering up at our church his motivation is not money and how much he can get and comfortable living he could have had all of that in a lot easier way than here right (laughs) he could have but that's the way it is I think this whole purpose with Job in the case of Job was God was going to demonstrate that men can have an unselfish devotion to God because in spite of all of his suffering and mental anguish, and he would have gone through that, this book is saying that a man is capable and a Christian is capable of what's known as disinterested goodness, of loving God and serving him just for who he is, not for what we get out of it. And that is a big and hard lesson to learn, isn't it? That you've got to be to that point if you want to be faithful to him and even to exercise faith properly in promises. When this is all going on, this exchange that we read about between God and Satan, he's not making a wager with him. You know, Job's not a pawn in a heavenly poker game, so to speak, right? Because God knows what he's going to do. And he's just going to display the riches of his grace. That's what it's all about, isn't it? That's what eternity is all going to be. We're going to be praising him for the grace he's given. That's the only difference that's made in us and those that are perishing in hell. And so we're going to be praising him and we'll be on display as the riches of his grace for all eternity. And that's what Job is in that present world. The riches of his grace. That God says, he, he loves me when he has everything, but he loves me when he has nothing. That's grace on display there. Tells him, behold, all that he has in your hand, only stretch not your hand against him. So going on here in verse 13, really What we see is Job's life just quickly unravels. So look in verses 13 through 15. He says, now there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And a messenger came to Job and said, the oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them when the Sabaeans raided them and took them away. And indeed, they have killed thy servants with the edge of the sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you. 500 oxen, 500 donkey servants, all gone all gone and then while he's still speaking we have verse 16 while he was still speaking another also came and said the fire of god probably lightning fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them and i alone have escaped to tell you there goes his seven thousand sheep that made him highly unique among all the rich people in that area and all his servants gone verse 17 and while he was still speaking here comes another one just one on top of another another came and said the Chaldeans formed three bands raided the camels took them away yes and killed the servants with the edge of the sword and I alone have escaped to tell you so there's 3000 camels and more servants gone and while he is still speaking verse 18 another also came and said your sons And daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house, and suddenly a great wind came from across the wilderness, struck the four corners of the house, and it fell on the young people, and they are dead. And I alone have escaped to tell you. And Job arose. I mean, this is just one thing after another, all in one day. He arose, tore his robe, and shaved his head. And he fell to the ground in worship and he said, naked I came from my mother's womb. Naked shall I return there. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And in all this, Job did not sin nor charge God with wrong. That happened to him so fast that Job didn't even have time to catch his breath. It's hard to imagine what all happened to him. It really is. No one has ever experienced anything like that. And Job said later on in Job 9, he says, He will not allow me to catch my breath, but fills me with bitterness. And so two things we see with all this. God is sovereign, isn't he, over everything that takes place. He blesses and protects Job because Satan, what, he has to have permission, doesn't he, to afflict Job. Satan said to God, you put forth your hand and touch him. And God's reply is, no, he's in your power. But he's limited though, isn't he? He he is on a leash, a short leash, isn't he? God's controlling the leash that Satan's on because he says only upon himself put not forth your hand. He can't just do to people whatever he wants to. God is controlling him, uses him like a puppet to execute his will. So I talked about 1 Corinthians 5 and here's what Paul told them to do. To that man that was committing fornication, he says, "In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, when you're gathered together in my Spirit with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, to deliver such a one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ." So God's in control of that. The devil was able to attack that man, but he wasn't able to take his life either, was he? Because God's in love; he's wanting to train him, to teach him, to bring him to repentance, to bring him to a life of holiness. But we also see he's on a leash, but the devil, and this isn't changed. He is the source of sickness and disasters. Because in Job 2, after he destroys his possessions and children, he comes before God again. Back in Job 2, look what it says there in Job 2, 3 and 4. And the Lord said to Satan, if you consider my servant Job, that there's none like him on the earth, blameless and upright man one who fears God and shuns evil, and still he holds fast to his integrity, although you incited me against him to destroy him without cause. And Satan answered the Lord and said, well, skin for skin. Yes, all that a man has, he'll give for his life. But stretch out your hand now and touch his bone and his flesh, and he'll surely curse you to your face. And look what it says in verse 6. And the Lord said to Satan, behold, he is in your hand, but spare his life so satan went out from the presence of the lord and struck job with painful boils from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head and he took for himself a pot shirt with which to scrape himself while he sat in the midst of the ashes so who does it say in verse 7 smote job with the boils what does it say it says satan doesn't it it doesn't say god smote him god allowed satan Right. But Satan is the one that smote him. And we quote this verse all the time. Acts 10:38, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power. Went about doing good, healing all that were oppressed of the devil. For God was with him we need to see that because if you think that God has given you something, you're not going to resist it. You can't help the fact that you're in a trial. I mean, Job wasn't going to just start rebuking and resisting the devil at that point in day one, and it's all going to go. If God's going to put you in a trial, you're not going to control that, are you? But we do need to still resist the devil. Luke 13 says, Ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound, lo, these 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? And Paul said in 1 Thessalonians, when he was wanting to go there to preach, that Satan hindered them. He didn't say God kept them from getting there. It said that Satan hindered them. And on and on and on. (laughs) Satan's a source of sickness. That is a truth that we get from this. In verses 7 to 8 that we read there, Job is smitten from head to foot, literally, with painful boils. This is not just like a little boil that you get on the side of your cheek. You pop it and it's gone. This is all over his body. And they're oozing. And it talks later about there's dirt getting in him. There's worms there. This is loathsome. His wife is probably looking at him thinking, ah, what happened to you? We've lost everything else. And look at you. As bad as all of that was, all the pain he's in, man, he doesn't curse the Lord. He had to be tempted. He just sits there mourning in ashes. And I'm sure he's mourning for his kids. He didn't feel good, but I'm sure it's his kids scraping himself just to get some relief. And like I said, his wife wasn't taking that so well. She just lost 10 children in one day and she's saying curse God and die if that's how you wow, he treats you why serve him why would you do that just put yourself out of your misery and quit trusting him and Job tells her in chapter 2 verse 10 he said to her you speak as one of the foolish women speaks he said shall we indeed accept good from God and shall we not accept adversity and in all this Job did not sin with his lips I think he's just saying, just don't be like those women. And I think she got her act together, eventually. She's just really having a hard time right here. We know that when things happen that God's in control. We still need to resist the devil. But the book of Job's not presenting, and Job's not saying the Lord gave, the Lord take it away. That He understands God is sovereign and in control, doesn't he? He doesn't even know about all this stuff with the devil. That's just revelation that came later. But the thing is, Job never sinned with his lips. Like I said, God is, in this whole drama that's being played out here, he's publicly displaying that there is a great man who is great because he's good. And yet, he'll continue to be a good man when he ceases to be a great man. He's a godly man. So we'll just sum this up. He's a righteous and upright man. He's not living in sin. And that tells us that, yes, the righteous can suffer. And God's blessed and protected Job, all he has, and he's in control of what happens in our lives, isn't he? He's in control of the devil. He's in control of everything that happens in our lives. And he boasts of Job to Satan. And Satan contends that Job only obeys because it pays. And we'll be tested that way, We're being tested that way now. Things don't seem to be going like they should. Are you just going to abandon the word of God? Because what I'm finding is people like to talk about things and why this, and they don't go to the word of God for their answers. And that's what you need to do. The word doesn't change in that sense. And we haven't been deceived. So God says, we'll see. And he's saying that about us. Things are going to get a lot rougher than they are right now. Believe me, they are. So what do you do? What do you do, young person? You've got children. They pass the law. It's totally illegal. You spank your kids. You're going to jail. You know, you're going to have a choice to make then, aren't you? And I'm not talking about abusing your kids. But I think Proverbs pretty clearly teaches that you don't just verbally tell them what to do or stick them in a corner time out that there should be a rod of some sort administered and so like i said i'm not talking about abuse so what do you do when the state says if you spank your kids you're going to jail well what do you do you don't spank your kids because you're so afraid of the consequences i mean to me that's a case of i'm sorry i've got to obey the lord you don't use a a club that big and and break their legs you know i mean obviously but man, oh, man, are we going to cave into this peer pressure that's coming? You know, you say anything about homosexuals, you're going to jail. If you're not politically. I mean, what, so we're going to cave in on that. And it's going to come in all kinds of respects. And we need to get ready. Both. So that means to me to where you all need to get grounded in why do you do what you do? And not find your answers in just having conversations. Well, I think this or whatever, or it appears to be this way. (laughs) You need to say, this is what the word says. And you've checked it out for the brains. And this is why I'm standing on what I'm standing on. And I'm not leaving. Because circumstances seem to change. Or Job would have abandoned everything, wouldn't he? Because God is faithful. Yeah, there's things that aren't turning out like they should, right? But the reason isn't because God's unfaithful, His Word's unfaithful. There can be many reasons. We're looking at one of them today, aren't we? So it's not up for us to look at any situation and say, Oh, that wouldn't be happening to them if something wasn't right in their lives. That's not our place, is it? We're not Job's friends, are we? No, unless somebody tells you, that I know this happened to me, it was chastised. Well, that's fine. That's them telling you. But it's not for us to sit there and say, oh, well, there's got to be something there. We don't know. And he refused to curse God. He refused to renounce his faith in God's goodness because that is the temptation, isn't it? When things don't go right, especially with yourself, well, maybe he's not good towards me. Maybe he doesn't love me. Maybe there's something wrong with me. Job had to be tempted to think that, didn't he? So can a righteous person suffer great loss at all levels and not be guilty of sin? I mean, Job lost everything. There are people who serve God because it doesn't pay. So i like to end. We sing that song many times, the old hymn, It Is Well With My Soul. We love that song. A great hymn, isn't it? And here's the story behind it. The guy that wrote that hymn, was a Chicago lawyer, Horatio G. Spafford. And he was a successful Chicago lawyer, made a lot of money, a lot of money. They were supporters of and friends of D.L. Moody. And in 1870, they had some hardships start happening to him. He lost his only son. He was killed by scarlet fever at the age of four. And a year later, fire ravaged their real estate holdings along the shores of Lake Michigan that they have been heavily invested in. And every one of those holdings was destroyed by the great Chicago fire. So they just needed to get away from all this stress, his family. So they were gonna go and he sent his wife and their four daughters ahead on vacation to England and he was gonna catch up on them. And they were gonna rest and help D.L. Moody when he was over there having a meeting. So they travel to New York. And in November, they were going to catch this French steamer, the Villa de Havre, and go across the Atlantic. And so, like I said, Horatio couldn't go, that the husband couldn't go, so he persuaded his family to go on like they'd planned, and he would follow after. So they sailed to Europe while he's going back to Chicago, and nine days later, he gets a telegram from his wife in Wales, and it said this, saved alone, saved alone, That ship they were on collided with another ship and sank in only 12 minutes that they were on. 226 people died. And she's on deck, and she's standing there with her four daughters, Anna, Maggie, Bessie, and Tanetta, holding on to her, and she was the only one that survived that crash. She was unconscious. She was found unconscious. Somehow a board had got underneath her, and she was floating, and they pulled her up out of the water. (laughs) somehow miraculously that happened and she had heard this voice speak to her after she was rescued and she was in total despair and it says you were spared for a purpose and it says she immediately remembered the words of a friend who said it's easy to be grateful and good when you have so much but take care that you are not a fair weather friend to god so the way the story goes, after he heard that news, Horatio Spafford took the next ship out of New York to join his wife over in England and to breathe their daughters. A fifth daughter that was born later explained that when he's going over there on a voyage and he's with the captain of the ship, they knew exactly where that ship went down. And when they got to that point where they went down, that is when the words of that song came He he knew that. He returned to his cabin and penned those words. And the basis of it is 2 Kings 4.26, the Shumanite woman. She lost her son, and it says that her soul was vexed within her because that's the way he felt. And yet she said what? It is well. And so that's how the song goes. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, Either way, he says, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. And though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and has shed his own blood for my soul. Oh, my sin, my sin, the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin, not in part, but the whole is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O my soul. And Lord, haste the day when my faith shall be sight. The clouds be rolled back as a scroll, for the trump shall resound, and the Lord shall descend. Even so, it is well with my soul. Amen? Amen. Amen. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. We especially thank you, Lord, for this word, this revelation that you've given us of the life of Job, that you have this in the Bible, Lord, to help us to understand how that we can have faith in you and trust you even when we don't understand things, that you're in control and that you want us to be faithful whether we abound or whether we suffer need, Lord, and loss. And we thank you, Lord, that you're a faithful God, that that you work all things for our good, that you love us, Lord, and that you're conforming us to the image of your son. And that one day it will, it will all make sense, Lord. We'll understand your purposes and plans in our lives and, and for the things we've had to go through. And thank you, Lord, that you'll continue to do a work in us. And I just ask that you'll increase our love for you, Lord, and, and our faith in you. And I thank you that you'll do that in Jesus' name. Amen.